Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Good morning, Covenant. Good to see you. Welcome to those of you who joined us from home on this very white uh, February Sunday. My name's Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. Join me in Revelation chapter 8. We're continuing in our series, Unveiled Glory, moving verse by verse, chapter by chapter, as it were today, through this apocalypse, this, this unveiling of the glory of Jesus by John to seven churches that existed uh, in modern-day Turkey. And today we're going to enter into, what I'll just, I'll just be honest with you, it's a far less cheery version uh, a cheery part of John's revelation. Some, some of the things we're going to read today are com- kind of depressing. Some of them are, are saddening. Some of them downright scary. And, and so what I want us to remember, there's a very important principle here, because remember the whole, the whole thesis of the book is actually one of hope, not depression. It's one of victory, not defeat. And so if we're going to keep the unveiled glory of Jesus at the center, even as we give credence to some of the things we're going to look at today, we need to remember this very important principle. The best news is often delivered against the backdrop of the worst circumstances. That's something we're going to learn today. All right? if If you have cancer, healing from that starts with a diagnosis, doesn't it? It starts with somebody looking at you and saying the C word. If that doesn't happen, you die. If it does happen, then later on what happens? You, you start to hear things like, you, you can beat this. The odds are, are in your favor and the physicians and the radiologists and your family and friends and everybody flanking you. All that has to start with some bad news, though, doesn't it? We see this in mental health as well. Amy and I have, have counseled a lot of parents over the years just based on our own personal experience when they're, they're getting ready to take their child to be examined and, and they're just afraid they're going to, to find something terribly wrong. And what they fear the most are those four words, your child has autism. And one of the things that we've often told them is, look, it, it, number one, you, you don't know what you don't know. And you can't fret about what you don't know. But even if that diagnosis comes, you need to see that not as the end, but as the beginning of a journey to a fruitful life because now you're going to be given the tools. You're going to be given the things that you need in order to to see that child go forward. In fact, uh, financial help and restoration usually begins, does it not, with somebody looking at you uh, and honestly but straightforwardly saying, you're just stupid with money and we need to work on this. you got to start with it, right? And so you got to start with the bad news in order to get to oftentimes the good news. And I've told you, Revelation is a series of windows that allows us to see the glory of God behind the veil. So it addresses real-world issues by pulling that curtain back to uncover the spiritual realities at work. And today, John's going to open a second window for us into that spiritual realm. And not all the knowledge that we get today is pleasant, but that's true when it comes to Scripture. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the late pastor, evangelist, theologian, used to say that the diamond of the gospel is best seen in all of its sparkle glory against the black backdrop of sin and our need for it. And so we want to dive into this very long, 
kind of difficult to grapple with section with that principle in view. And, and I want to do it by, by kind of framing the, the larger context for you. There's this series of unveilings that's described in three ways. Seals, we looked at that last week, starts in chapter 6, verse 1, moves into chapter 8, verse 5. And there we read about things like false teaching and warfare and famine and martyrdom. Trumpets, that's what we're going to cover today, chapter 8, verse 6 through to chapter 11, verse 19. Natural calamities, disasters, demonic attacks, violence. And then later is that third season, it's called bowls, chapter 15, verse 1, to chapter 16, verse 21. And there you see ecological disaster and disease. And, and if you've taken all of this together and you lay it over world history, it's easy to recognize these as patterns of evil and suffering that repeat themselves in cycles until the coming of Jesus. And so today, we're looking at the second of the three. Just to kind of give you an idea of where we're at in the larger picture, seven trumpets. And again, we're going through three, like eight, nine, ten, eleven. We're like, we've got to try to cover four chapters today. So we're not going to go in depth today, otherwise we'll miss the Super Bowl. And even though you shouldn't really care which team is playing, because they're both awful, um, you know, you probably got some, I don't know, you probably got some wings to eat tonight or something. So here's what I'm going to do. R rather than just go in-depth on the whole thing, I'm going to frame that section for you so that as you go back and read it, you'll, you'll have a framework of understanding for how to get it, okay? And, and here's how we're going to do it. Six observations from the text around these seven trumpets, six observations followed by four introspective questions that rise out of those observations. All right, you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Yeah. All right. Number one, observation number one, God seals his people. Then we got to back up to chapter 7, verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Okay, And in one section, it was 144,000. That was redeemed Israel. In another section, there's another group sealed that it, no man can count. And so you have redeemed Israel. You have God's church. You have one people of God united together. And so all of this symbolizes God's ownership and protection of his own people. And there's a couple of myths we have to confront here. The first is that God will never allow his people to suffer tribulation. Okay? Now, there's different viewpoints, even in our church, around whether or not the church is going to go through the tribulation. Some of our pastors believe that we're going to get caught up out of here before that happens. I just don't happen to be one of them. And I love those guys, and they love me. And that, that, that's not really what this is about, though. It's not about what you believe the Scriptures teach. It's, it's more about your motivation. And you don't want to come to the text with false presumption. And a false presumption would not necessarily be that God will rapture us out before the tribulation. A false presumption is, however, God would never allow his people to suffer tribulation. And we got to deal with that up front. That is Western, Americanized. I mean, it, there's nothing more American than that. Don't make me suffer. I want to live in comfort. All right, we've already seen through the breaking of the seven seals that that's not true. We're going to live with everyone else in this fallen world, and at different times, we're going to be subjected to different degrees of falsehood, of war, of violence, famine, death. Here's the second myth, and you've, some of you still believe this one. God won't put anything on you more than you can handle. Some of y'all have been wondering for years, 
is that really true? And you're going to be relieved today when I tell you, no, it's not. You're like, great, because I felt like I was a failure in my faith. I really did, because I just, there, is, there are times, things, there are weights that I've been called to bear, Pastor, and they just feel greater than I can bear. Well, that actually comes from a passage in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that, that says God will not make temptation greater. He will provide a way of escape for you. Somehow we got over here into the colonies and into prosperous America, and we translated that out to mean I ain't got to suffer anymore. And, and the degree that I do suffer, it'll never be anybody. I'll always, I'll always be able to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'll be able to handle it. Brothers and sisters, that would come to as front page news to a lot of the first century saints that we read about. That would come to news as news to a lot of folks I've ministered to over the years who've asked, how am I going to get through this? Okay? Being sealed does not mean the absence of tribulation. Being sealed does not mean that it will not sometimes become unbearable. Here's what be, being sealed means. It means that God is sovereign over all things, including harmful things. It means that whatever's going on around me, God has marked his own people. He will keep us to the very end. And when we can't bear it, he will step in there and bear it with us. That's what it means. God will persevere you to the end. And in the meantime, you will endure. You can know that you will endure. You are sealed and identified as his. You are spared the wrath and the judgment. That is described next. So are we going to escape tribulation? Well, there's some argument about that. Are we going to escape wrath? No doubt in the world. Yes, we are. Because while God seals his people, here's observation number two. God judges the world. This is where we get into our text that we're looking at today. Everything that we're about to read in chapter 8 moving forward, uh, we've, we've been told this before in Scripture. But these seven trumpet blasts, they unveil the spiritual reality behind what's going on in the world. See, apocalyptic literature is, is connective by nature. And we're going to continue to see John use things that were well-known to his first century audience in other places in Scripture to help them make sense of what he unveils. So he's going to take these saints who are rooted in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, specifically the, the story of the Exodus, and he's going to refer back to things that have occurred in their past to help them understand things that are coming forward. Or as Eugene Peterson says in his book, Reverse Thunder, there is nothing new to say on the subject, but there is a new way to say it. And, and so that, that's what's happening here. And it becomes apparent when you compare the unveiling of these plagues, these trumpets, with what was happening during the Exodus. So let's just take a look at these in rapid succession. The first trumpet, chapter 8, verse 7, hail and fire destroy the land. That, is, I mean, it has a corollary in Exodus chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. There was a plague that included roughly the same curse. Trumpet number 2, verse 8, verses 8 and 9, there's a mountain thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea is turned to blood, as well as the third one, uh, the third trumpet, verses 10 to 11, a star falls from heaven, corrupts the water supply. You find that again in Exodus chapter 7. What happened? There, there's a corruption of the water supply. You have the fourth trumpet. Everything goes dark. Exodus chapter 10, everything went dark. Now, that could be brought about by the destruction of the earth that produces billowing smoke or, or some other substance from below that blocks out the light. 
from above, but, but all of these trumpet blasts, they just come in rapid succession. One, two, three, four. And they, they, re, they announce a judgment on the created order. Paul reminds us in Romans 8 that all of creation, because of the sin curse, was subjected to futility. Because of my sin, I'm not just the one that has to pay for that. Right? My, my family sometimes has to pay for that. My surroundings have to pay for that. And nature itself has to pay for that. Nature is a victim of the sin curse that you and I, as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, have brought on this world. It's been affected by sin. And, and so in these first four trumpets, it's just a rapid reminder of the Lord to those still dwelling on the earth, you broke the world I made, and for the moment I'm going to allow it to stay broken. There's a punch. It's almost like in the middle of all that, here come these first four, and there's a, there's a punch to the gut, and then there's a pause. Chapter 8, verse 13. Then I looked, and behold, an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. In other words, now that I have your attention, all right, through these first four, you're like, wow, what just happened? All right, you, you paying attention? You paying, can you imagine, by the way, how that's going to look when, when we finally get to the end? I mean, we, we, had a, we had a freaking pandemic. And people are like, oh. And then we, had, then we had all this racial stuff going on, and then, then we got it, and now we got Russia and Ukraine. And, my, and, and I'm just like, is anybody paying attention? Anybody paying? Like, like it hasn't yet. We're, we're still arguing and fighting with each other and bickering with each other. It's like, it, it just gets, you know, you know, as any good parent knows, a little smack on the bottom. If it's not followed by compliance, it's a little bit tougher. Smack that follows. What, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Well, whatever this means, it got, the worth, it got the world's attention. And so now you see this eagle flying, and he says, now that I have your attention, here's, here's the message. It's about to get worse. The fifth trumpet, chapter 9, verse 1, locusts with the sting of a scorpion. We see a parallel to this in Exodus chapter 10 with the, the plague of the locusts, only these inflict a level of pain that causes their victims to beg to die. And then comes the sixth trumpet, chapter 9, verses 12 to 19. This is a vision of 200 million warriors along with fire and sulfur from the mouths of the horses they ride that will eventually kill a third of the global population. So while we rightly mourn 5.1 million COVID deaths, this would represent today 2.1 billion people with a B. Now, what, what's the point of all this? Well, well, often when things get bad, we want to escape somewhere, don't we? That was the one thing about COVID that really stunk. Like there wasn't anywhere. Like there's a, a natural disaster like a hurricane or a tornado, and you're like, I just got to get out of here and decompress, right? You can get on a plane, go somewhere where it didn't do any damage. There was nowhere you could go. I mean, it even made it to Christmas Island. It, there was nowhere you could go. And for the first few weeks of this thing, they wouldn't even let you go. You just you couldn't get away from it. But oftentimes that, that happens, right? And sometimes it's through a destination. I just gotta get away. I gotta get I gotta get to a warmer climate. How many of y'all feeling that this morning? 
Yeah, I want a warmer climate. Um, not, that's not inherently wrong, uh, unless that's your placebo, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it's a substance or some other kind of addiction. M- modern movies, I think, capture well our desire for an eternity that downplays supernatural darkness. Y'all remember WandaVision? Who's seen WandaVision? Oh, you're so culturally deprived, so many of you. Those of you who had your hands up, well, just, just a little inside. The rest of y'all excuse us for just a moment. What did we see in that series? She's, she's trying to choose her own reality, wasn't she? She's like, I don't like the reality I've been dealt. I'm going to create my own, and I'm going to try to control it. And what happened? It brought more destruction, didn't it? It brought more destruction. And I've seen that. The rest of y'all are like, ooh, I want to go see that. And let me warn you, the first four episodes are just flat, boring. Push through to episode five. You're welcome. Here's, here's the point, all right? John doesn't allow us to look the other way at suffering. God's people have revealed to them in these pictures the most col- in the most colorful terms that, that there remains a lot of darkness in the world. And that means for the duration of our time on this earth, you and I are protected from God's judgment while we are simultaneously surrounded by the evil that he judges. God seals his people. He judges the world. And in the midst of that, observation number three, God's people bear witness. In chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, we're introduced to two witnesses. There's been a lot of debate around their re, uh, about their reality and whether they're to be understood as two actual literal figures. Here's what I'll offer you. Scripture, both in the Old Testament, and I would refer you to Deuteronomy 19.15, or in the New Testament, Matthew 18, verse 16, speaks of the requirement of two witnesses in order to confirm testimony. It didn't happen, according to the New Testament, unless at least two people said that it happened. And so to establish that something's actually true, you have to have at least two witnesses. And so in the middle of all the darkness and all the lies and the violence and the destruction and everything we see symbolized in these trumpets, there is a remnant who stand together on the truth. You know, there's a lot of just a lot of lament today about the church in America. Oh, it just seems to be shrinking. And I get the Barna report every year, and it tells me we're not even reaching our, our own children. And, we're not, and, and there's some things we need to take from that. There's some wisdom that needs to be gleaned from that. All this stuff about how many people have fallen away from the body of Christ. Pastor, I just don't understand. All this deconstruction, all of this deconversion, it seems like we're getting smaller. It seems like we're on top of all that, kind of losing our influence. Listen, y'all know a dime's worth more than a nickel, right? Sometimes your circle gets smaller, your value increases. And what we're reminded of here is it just takes two. Christianity's never been about democracy. It's never been a popularity contest about how many think it versus how many people reject it. God will always, no matter how bad it gets, have people who will bear witness, who will stand as the culture around them suffers and call that culture to repentance. And so the question is not, how are we doing? What are we going to get to keep? What are we up for? What do we get to lose? The question is, Are you and I going to be among those witnesses? Are we among those? Because when you take that posture, you should expect this fourth thing. Observation number four, God's people will be hated and they will be persecuted. We see this in verses 7 to 10 of chapter 11. The beast makes war, he kills them, and then the people refuse to allow them the dignity of a burial. 
How about that? Verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. See, we forget sometimes that the essence of the Christian message is that all of humanity is in rebellion against God. That's the bad news. And the universal call of the gospel is you have to turn from that rebellion and bow to the sovereign King Jesus. And here's the thing about rebels. They don't like being called rebels. They don't like that. And Jesus himself warned us that the messenger will be hated along with the message. And we see the depth of that hatred in this section of Revelation. We see it throughout our own culture today. I mean, I hate to point out the obvious, but just look at, look at what happens in the halls of Congress. Look at what Democrats and Republicans do to their own the minute a single one begins to deviate from party orthodoxy. You know why that is? Because people get killed when they tell the truth. That's why. Observation number five. God vindicates his people. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting passage. Chapter one, verse 1 of chapter 11, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Okay, So there's this big picture that comes after this of a temple. And so we have to ask, well, well what, is, what does this mean exactly? And there are some people who argue for a literal reading here, which mean, would mean that it's at some point in our future, because it obviously hasn't been built yet, there's going to be a third temple erected. Now, if you've been part of the covenant family for more than probably three or four years, you've heard me speak on this. You know that, that I reject that approach. You, you don't have to agree with your pastor on this. But my rationale for doing so, I at least owe you an explanation, is connected to the apostolic application of temple theology to the new covenant. In other words, when I'm looking at what this means, I'm asking the question, how did the apostles understand the language of the temple? When the writers of the New Testament spoke of the temple, how did they describe it? And I'll just refer you to a couple of places, Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19, so then you, speaking to the church here, are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple. Yeah, don't be afraid to say it. In the Lord, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. Again, in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So here's my big idea. We are the temple. Why do I believe that? Because Paul said, we are the temple. All right? That's why I believe it. And the close connection between these two vivid pictures here demonstrates this temple is meant to testify, all right? This isn't just one person standing by, two witnesses. The full vindication of the truth of the gospel given through those of us who are the temple, and those, those witnesses are given authority to, to prophesy, and then we're told in, in verse 11, after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And then he calls them up to heaven, leaving their enemies behind to be destroyed by an earthquake. Now, we 
This is a pattern we've seen before. In Isaiah 52, we're prophesied this, this victory of Messiah. Messiah is coming and he's going to be very, how, how beautiful are the feet of those who run and say to Zion, your God reigns. And then comes chapter 53, which tells us how that kingdom is going to come about. Not with weapons, not with savvy, with suffering, with suffering. And you have this colorful ap- apocalyptic description that John is once again reminding God's people, like Jesus, we are sometimes called to suffer. We are called to believe also that the truth of what we speak will be vindicated. This is how the kingdom comes. And that brings us to observation number six. God's kingdom will come. Verse 15 again. This is what Pastor Jeff read at the outset of our time together. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So all the way up until this point, we've been volleying back and forth between what's happening around the throne in heaven and and what's been transpiring on the earth. And this last trumpet reveals a clash of the two. Heaven and earth are going to collide. And the long opposition to God's rule on earth results in his wrath on his enemies, the the arrival of judgment and the final consummation of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. That thing that Jesus spoke about more than 80 times in the first three gospels alone, that kingdom presence that we see the apostles live out through all of the chapters of the book of Acts, you and I now called to manifest glimpses of that kingdom to the people that surround us. But one day we're told there's an ultimate final kingdom that's going to finally come. And so out of this vivid unveiling, John is describing for us how history will unfold, how heaven and earth are going to clash, and the judgment of God is going to come, and rebellion is going to increase, and eventually the kingdom will come to earth. And all the while, in the midst of every bit of this, God's people will be sealed and protected from his wrath, even while suffering tribulation at the hands of the world. That's the big idea, okay? Whether you're a pre-terrorist, a historicist, a pre-trib, a post-trib, a post-mill, this is the central message. This is the thing around which we unite, right? Because that's what's being revealed to us through these trumpets. God's kingdom is going to come and nothing can stop it. In the meantime, you may be called upon to suffer. So let me ask you four questions. Number one. Can you accept the whole truth? Can you live in the world as it is? See, John's revealing to you and me in this big section of text the reality of the world we now live in. And it can be at times a living nightmare because it's a world in which we're far more vulnerable than we think we are. You You know, there's something I've noticed my neighborhood that I live in here in Shepherdstown, it consists of Christians, including at least four households that go to this church that I know of, and, and then there's a whole swath of non-Christians. You know what I've noticed happens in my neighborhood that when, like, when, a, when a truck skids off the road like it is you know, likely to do on a night like last night when those roads suddenly get slippery and it careens into a transformer on Highway 480? Did you know it's not just my non-Christian neighbors whose power goes out in the middle of winter? Mine goes out too. All right, that's just a little 
it's just a little microcosm example of what I'm talking about here. This section of Revelation reminds us the world is going to go through ebbs and flows of disaster and plague and uncertainty. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget, we worked for eight years rebuilding with, in partnership with Mississippi churches and Louisiana churches on the Gulf Coast after Katrina. And I remember when it hit, right? Here, here's the thing, I, and I learned this about 10 years into ministry. There are people who talk and there are people who act, and I'm with the people who act, all right? I can't, it's one of the reasons I can't stand talk show hosts, because this is all they do. That's all they do. They, they make you mad. That, that's what they accomplished. They made these, nobody's doing anything about the problem. They're just looking for somebody to blame. Well, right after Katrina, Pat Robertson thought he had somebody to blame. He said, it's, it's the gay community. God is punishing New Orleans for its approval of homosexuality. Really? Well, a couple things, all right? Number one, y'all are pretty clear on where your pastor is on that issue, right? You should be. If you're not, you're not paying attention, all right? I, I believe what the Scriptures say about marriage and sexuality. I believe marriage is limited to a man and a woman. I believe that the only appropriate expression of human sexuality is within that covenant. That that, that's what I believe. But here's, here's the other thing. Why, why do we single that one out as if to say, like, you know, in Romans 1, when Paul's describing that, you know what it's right next to? Gossip. Ask me if gossip or gay people does more destruction at Covenant Church. I don't have to think about that for a second. Y'all still with me? Okay. Here was the second thing. I've been to Bourbon Street. All, the, the, the homosexual communities, they're on the upper end of Bourbon Street. Did you know after Katrina, that entire section was bone dry? You know what was underwater? New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Did God miss? What? See, we, it, be careful invoking the name of God over these kinds of things. God, listen... Suffering is going to hit God's people sometimes too. And the encouragement is that we are sealed as God's own. Not that we're not going to get sick. Not that we're not going to struggle financially. Not that we're not going to go through some times of just all kinds of anguish. But pastor, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isaiah 54, 17. I've read it and you haven't read what's around it. That was a promise to Judah that 200 years after they got sucked out by the Babylonians, they would be allowed by Persia to go back, and that absolutely nothing, no weapon, no army, nothing would stop God's plan of getting them back in the promised land to set everything up for Messiah. That verse wasn't given so your business would take off. You are not that important, and neither am I. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. But here, here is the problem. You're sealed. You're sealed. Here, here's the big idea, okay? And it's hard, but it's liberating, okay? Every blessed temporal thing you have in this world, including the things that are genuinely blessed. I'm talking about my own marriage right now. I'm talking about my 
children. I'm not just talking about my property. I'm talking about the stuff that I hold as most precious, and you do too, and you have a right to do it, and in a sense, you should feel that way. Every temporal thing you hold on to is vaporous and ultimately unreliable. Because eventually, marriages end, even if they're faithful. They're not forever. Eventually, you pass out of this world and into the next one. God willing, before your children do. God willing. And, and we're living now in a place where we have to ask, with that reality in view, how would you be in a world without a light bulb? How, how would that work for you? Good Lord, how did some of y'all, how did, how did my household even live the last 24 months without Amazon and Grubhub? How did that even happen? How are you going to live without your ammo and, and your bunker? Yeah, I know where I live. Is there something inherently, I, I, I made fun of the ammo and the bunker at some point, and I was talking about you're, you're clinging to that other than Jesus. And I had a guy, I won't name him, out in the lot. He, he just walked up to me, he goes, I, I have ammo in a bunker with some canned goods, but I'm also trusting Jesus. I'm like, you're fine. You're fine. It's okay. I'm not telling you not to be prepared I'm questioning where your ultimate hope is, okay? Where would you be? Who will you trust in the event of a nuclear event? Or let's get more personal. Let's, let's do to what Sarah almost went to preaching about this morning during the, during the singing section. What are you going to do when your body breaks down and it doesn't do the things that you want it to do anymore? What's going to happen when your mind goes and you can't remember things, and you can't function. What happens when the whole world goes dark? Where's your light going to come from? What these passages teach us is that comfort and endurance come from remembering that we are his, and we are sealed. And like the martyrs in chapter 6 who ask him, how long? Jesus is speaking peace to them and saying, just a little longer. Just a little longer. Are you willing to do that? Do you, do, do you accept the whole truth? Here's, here's question number two. Do you rely on the whole word? I mean all of it. Okay. I made fun of some people with Isaiah 54. But we all have our favorite kind of cherry-picked passages, don't we? Look at this from uh, chapter 10, verse 9. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. I will make, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. How many people in here, when you get supper tonight, and it's sitting there, well, tonight doesn't count because it's Super Bowl, and it's going to be wings and carbs and more carbs, and you know, when you get a balanced meal and you sit there, how many of you are like me, and you eat the thing you like least first, and you save the thing you like best for last? Is there anybody else? Okay. That, that's maturity. I, no, no, it is, and I'm going to tell you why. It's maturity because you, you're an adult now, and when you were a kid, you just wouldn't eat it anyway, right? Your mama had to smack you across the back of the head to make you eat it. And today, you've learned, well, i got to eat something that's not filled with carbs. I have to eat something that's not covered in a substance that claims to be cheese, Right, I, I've got to. I got to have some vegetables, 
right? I was that way with, with green beans. My mother, God rest her soul, I mean, you can look at me and tell. She fed her son well. One thing I could never eat was her green beans. I couldn't do it. My wife finally found like the right recipe, and I, I can eat them now. Here, here's the challenge here. These verses reveal John to be a true prophet because alongside a similar experience in Ezekiel chapter 2, he is digesting all of it. That's the challenge. When, when it comes to God's Word, you've got to clean your plate. You've got to taste the bitter with the sweet. You can't always start with dessert, and you must always eat that which is healthy for you. I, I think that's a result of the fall, actually. Why is it that the things that are good for you taste so bad? Have you all ever thought about that? And I know some of you out there are like, oh, well, you just never had the right wheat germ this. and Yeah, you're a freak. Look, I... <laughs> I probably would live longer if I'd eat like you. But have you, have you gotten that sense yet as an adult? Everything, every, every time you go to the doctor, every subsequent don't eat blank anymore, it, it, it's never the, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't like that stuff anyway. It's always, what? No more Velveeta? Like, no more. Oh, stop it. Don't make me come out there. No more Velveeta. No more red meat. Oh, gosh. That one day. Gosh, if that day ever comes, I'm going to cry. I'm going to need counsel from the elders. It's, it's going to be a sad day. It's going to be a sad day. My father, when he was going through cancer treatments, had this long list of things that he couldn't eat. And he, and he asked his doctor, he said, isn't there something I can eat that tastes good? And his doctor said, you know what? What's your favorite cereal? And my father has always loved Apple Jacks. All right? Loves them. And he says, I like Apple. He said, all right. He said, Go to the grocery store on your way home. Get the biggest box of Apple Jacks. And my dad's eyes lit up. And he said, and when you get home, pour them out in the trash and eat the box. <laughs> Turns out the doctor was a smart aleck as, as well as a really good doctor. It just kind of seems that way, right? That's what this is. You got to take the bitter with the sweet. Christianity in the West has become a cafeteria line. We want to hear about best life now. We want to hear about health and wealth. We want to hear about it's all about you. Do what feels good. Do the, No repentance, no suffering, no cause, no kingdom of God. And you're wondering, why do I always seem like I come up empty and I'm unsatisfied and I got a sugar high and then it, it just comes down low? And Pastor, you were talking about that, that whole thing that... that that, that that other pastor was talking about a couple weeks ago, but bouncing back and forth between panic and placebo, and I, that's my life, and I, I can't figure out why my life is characterized by, like that. And, and God, kind of like your mama's looking over your shoulder going, I don't see a clean plate. There are things you have not taken in. There are parts of my word that you don't want to hear. Like I, and I, oh God, that, that old sexual ethic thing, I, yeah. I, I, like the, I like the Jesus that just loved everybody. He did love everybody enough to tell them the truth. I don't have that loving my neighbor stuff. That messes with my politics. I don't, I don't love my neighbor. Ugh. Yeah. All of it. You got to take the bitter with the sweet. Because now, from this moment until Jesus comes, our only hope is contained in the Word of God. All of it. All of it. Here's the third question. Will you be faithful even if it costs you your life? 
Verse 7 of chapter 11. And when they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. The beast, remember what the beast is? State power. You got to watch your political allegiances, left or right. You got you to watch them. You got to make sure you have first allegiance is always to Jesus because I'm telling you, the minute you step out of line of whatever they consider orthodoxy to be, that beast is going to rise up. You know why? Because he worships power. He worships power. You don't need to worship power. You worship Jesus. He already has power. All of it, as will be aptly demonstrated by the time we get to the end of this book. But we see that, you know what, you, you rise up against that, it might cost you your life. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. There's your hope. Does that sound like hope? That's like crazy hope, isn't it? All they can do is kill you. Martin Luther wrote it this way in that ancient hymn, Let Goods and Kindred Go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Now, this is not an excuse to be thoughtless, reckless, stupid. Jesus told us to count the cost. But if your first question when it comes to kingdom mission is, is it safe? You've forgotten who you follow. Question number four, do you want the kingdom? Verses 15 to 19, chapter 11. This is a summary of by the voices in heaven describing everything we've just witnessed. He says in verse 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. This isn't the only place in Scripture where we see the bold witness of martyrs and their death, inextricably connected to the advance of the kingdom. And, and so when, when God asks you and B, are you willing to die? He's not asking you to join some crazy, out-of-your-mind, brainwashed death cult, okay? It's not, I promise you there is no Kool-Aid in the lobby when you leave, none. There's not going to be astrological charts mapping comet trajectories okay we're not <laughs> that's not what he's talking about but here's the question God is saying to the church the suffering church do you value my rule more than you value your own life we love to tell stories of martyrs January 6th of this year 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 over 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 to 66 years, if my math is right. I went to public school in South Carolina, so it may not be. But, but 66 years, I believe, 1956, Jim Elliott was martyred some weeks before he had written the following in his journal. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read that again. He is no fool 
who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. It was still horrible to be speared to death, I would imagine. I mean, I wasn't there, but I'm guessing that's painful. Nothing beautiful, as I said that last week about martyrdom when it's happening. The only way to endure is to value the thing you are working for more than you value your own life. And to value God's kingdom more than your own life, you have to believe, like these two witnesses, that you have a resurrection coming. At the hands of the one that that you and I worship, who has already conquered death. These are the voices in heaven that are saying what Jim Elliott said, and that's, that's your call in mind today. Right? You're going to take the whole Word of God so you can be equipped and ready and filled with the whole counsel, not just the parts you like and rejecting the parts you don't, so, so that you can now desire the kingdom to the point that you're actually willing to die because it is absolutely true. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. Look around you. Consider your property. Consider your family. Because, man, it's all going to be gone one day. All going to be gone. You cannot keep it, and neither can I. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And what you and I are being promised in this part of the text is something we cannot lose. Let me just encourage you to run to that with all of your heart. Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to ask you some questions. Number one, what are you trusting to give your life meaning and value? What what gives you meaning and value? What determines your your identity? And and, and in very close conjunction with that question, let me ask this one. Could it be taken from you? Can the thing that right now is giving you meaning and value to your life, could it be taken? If it can, then there's, whatever that is, it's the wrong, it's not, it may not even be a bad thing, it's the wrong thing to attribute meaning and value to your life. Let me ask you a second question. What do you think you own, but that really owns you? right? It could could be brownies for all I know. It could be alcohol. It could be another vacation or another show. The stuff you do to cope when life gets hard. What do you think you own but really owns you? And number three, and this one's pretty blunt, but it is asked in love. Do you believe yourself too sophisticated for the authority of Scripture? You and I are not too good for what has been revealed here. But the kingdom is worth it. And I, I just want to tell you, like, it, it was like I got up this morning and thank you, Lord, for a soft bed. Thank you, God, for a loving and godly wife. Thank you, Lord, for three wonderful kids that I do not deserve. Thank you, Lord, for a house and a roof over my head. What? Thank you for that. It's not about not being appreciative of those things. It's about understanding that I am sealed and my meaning and value comes from the giver of those things. It's about embodying Psalm 73 with my life. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, I desire nothing 
beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. And God is inviting you today to grab onto that and to allow him to give that meaning and value to your life. There is a, a judgment coming. God's people will be sealed. Are you trusting in him today? Lord, help us in this time of response. Move through your Holy Spirit into the hearts of your people and make us obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? Elders and deacons are going to be underneath these four crosses. We invite you to come. If we can pray for you, if we can cry with you, counsel with you, whatever you might need. If you're online, type it into the thread. Someone will get right back with you as soon as possible. But be obedient to the Lord now as we sing together.
Would you help me thank some special guests here, Miss Allen's class, for joining us in worship this morning? We have missed you guys. Welcome back. Welcome back indeed. Uh, we're going to take up an offering now. And you guys, I, well, you know, do whatever Ken tells you to do. I thought, y'all don't have to stand there. And then I thought, wait a minute, Ken may have them doing something else. Do whatever Ken says. Okay. Um, we're going to take up an offering now, one final act of worship. There was one announcement I just want to make, uh, just kind of emphasize. We have a planned giving seminar that's coming uh, next Sunday, and there's a sign-up for that out in the lobby. If you've ever thought about estate planning, well, if you never have, you probably should. Uh, and so this would be a, a seminar around that concept uh, that would also include how you do your charitable giving out of your estate. Tom Stoll, CFO at the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware, dear friend of mine for 15 years plus, just a wonderful guy is going to be leading that. Lunch is provided. Uh, and so if you want to think through uh, your estate planning and, and how that fits in with, with a number of other things, which would include uh, what charities you may want the parts of your estate to go to, uh, get, you can get signed up for that right through those doors. Uh, let's pray. And uh, if you brought your offering with you, the ushers are at the back. You can also go to givetocovenant.com. And may the Lord bless you uh, as you go home today. Lord, thank you for this message from your word. Thank you for hard truth that forms the backdrop for really, really good news. And I just pray that we're encouraged today as we continue to worship you from this place and throughout the rest of the week. And I ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.